In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, and we're continuing in St. Matthew's Gospel. We are in chapter 14, and uh, the, the chapter begins with uh, Herod being um, told about what it is that Jesus is doing. He's told about Jesus' ministry. And uh, Herod's response is that this must be John the Baptist, who's come back from the dead. And then after he says this, we get a summary of what happened to John the Baptist. And you'll remember that Herod puts John to death because John had told him how it was that he was living or, or not living. Uh, that is, according to the ways of God. And so uh, we might read that uh, Herod is uh, reacting back to John the Baptist and to his, uh, his preaching about Herod. Then we see that uh, Jesus' response as our passage starts here is, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. So we're not responding to the parenthetical portion about uh, John dying. We're responding back to uh, Herod saying that Jesus must be John the Baptist risen from the dead. So Jesus is responding to this statement about who he is. And his response is to go away. Not to go and to argue with Herod or to go to Jerusalem, but it's to go away, to go into the wilderness. And indeed we see this over and over again where Jesus' response is to go out into the wilderness alone. When we read about Jesus doing that, uh, what comes to mind or what should come to our mind is all the times when the prophets of old, the fathers of the Old Testament, the patriarchs, uh, respond in that same way when they too withdraw. So you'll remember that uh, Noah withdraws into the wilderness of water. You'll remember that uh, Abraham withdraws away from the city of Ur and he goes into the wilderness and that he meets the Lord at the Oaks of Mamre. you remember that uh, Isaac and Jacob withdraw. Jacob especially, right, when he's there in the wilderness, he meets and he wrestles with the Lord. And then of course we see the prophets of old uh, going continually out continually out into the wilderness uh, and, and meeting the Lord in that place. And so this is Jesus' response. His response is uh, to go out into the wilderness. And indeed, maybe the greatest example of being in the wilderness is that of Moses and the tribes of Israel, the great uh, nation of Israel, and about the Lord feeding them with that holy food, with manna. So we're thinking about the nation of Israel were thinking about what it is that the Lord did for them in the wilderness when Jesus fulfills, indeed he does more than what the Lord does in the feeding of the manna. He provides this bread and this fish in this miraculous way. And so he's doing uh, the first important thing, which is that he's showing us that he is God. This is not the miracle of a prophet. This is the miracle of God. So Jesus is showing us that he is God and he's revealing himself as such. In response to uh, what it is that Herod said. The next thing is that we can look at the, the numbers associated with this. And you all know uh, me that I can't turn away from some good numbers in Scripture. I love to talk about them. Uh, there's no one right way of interpreting the numbers of Scripture. It's not like there's just one interpretation. St. Augustine says we can have a multiplicity of uh, interpretations as long as we don't make them disagree with themselves or disagree with another part of Scripture. So when we interpret Scripture, our standard is we can't make one 
one part of scripture disagree with another and indeed we want to teach what the fathers have taught what the church has received and so as long as what we're teaching is an agreement with scripture and agreement with what the fathers teach we can have lots of really wonderful interesting ways of looking at these numbers i'll just give you one way of looking at these numbers the first would be um, the five loaves uh, one way would be to say that these are the five books of the old testament the pentateuch right so what jesus is giving them is he's giving them the law he's feeding them with the law of god and of course this is what he says over and over again right you can have a meal and then you'll soon be hungry but if you're fed with the law with the ways of god you'll never go hungry again so he feeds them with the law Another way of looking at the two would be that these are the two sacraments. The two key sacraments of salvation are baptism and holy communion. And that is really a wonderful tie-in with the feeding. That Holy Communion is this spiritual food. So he's feeding them with the sacraments. He's feeding them with this spiritual food. And then what's left over from that, uh, what's left over from the law and from the sacraments is uh, 12. And of course, 12 baskets, or 12 is a really important number in Scripture. It's one that we see over and over again. And it comes from the, three most, um, the two most important numbers of Scripture, and that's 3 and 4. So 3 is the number of heaven we see that over and over again the holy number and four is the number of earth right the four points of the compass the four ancient elements three plus four of course is seven which is completeness the completeness of creation three times four is twelve and in that we get the tribes of israel so we get the fullness of god's people we also get the twelve apostles of course and and we then we could go into twelve times twelve right so what he's saying is he's taking the he's taking the law and he's taking the sacraments and when he feeds when he feeds his people the law and the sacraments, these are the two things of what we do this morning, we get the people of God. We get the twelve, the people of God. And of course, that's what we're doing this morning. We're starting out with the liturgy of the word. That's where we're in right now. Right? We've read our scriptures. Uh, we've read the Psalms. We're hearing the word explicated. We're going to uh, have our hearts convicted. So what are we going to do when we're convicted? We're going to state the Nicene Creed. We're going to um, pray for for one another we're going to confess our sins out of conviction we're going to receive forgiveness and then we're ready to move to the history of god salvation history and the sacrament right the the priest always says the the salvation history story and the sacrament and holy communion and this is the same pattern of worship that we see that nehemiah uses nehemiah you'll remember is a layman. He's one of my favorite people in scripture because he's not a priest and he's not a prophet. And we sometimes have to remind lay people uh, that the role of the lady is essential, right? The role of the lady is essential. And Nehemiah is a great example of that. So you'll remember that the the generation of Jeremiah and Daniel or that, ger uh, that uh, generation that go into captivity in Babylon and then Ezra and Nehemiah come out. You remember the Persians send them back out to Jerusalem and they get to Jerusalem and they see the, the walls have fallen down, the temple has been destroyed, there's no order in the city, it's just a, a nightmare of chaos. And so Nehemiah is a layman, he's a governor and what does he do? He brings the people together, he instructs them, he organizes them, he brings them into good order and once that order is established then Ezra the priest is able then to 
proclaim the gospel. So Nehemiah creates the order and then the priest can get up. If you've just got one or the other, if you've just got clergy or you've just got laity, you don't have the fullness of the body gathered. We have to have the laity to provide good order and structure so that we can have the word proclaimed and so that we can hear it with good order. And so that's what we've established here today. And what does Ezra do? He proclaims the word of God and what are the people's response to hearing the word of God? They repent, right? They fall on their faces. They say, oh, we haven't done what we're supposed to do. We haven't been keeping the sacraments. We haven't been keeping the word. They repent. And then Ezra reminds them of what the Lord has done. And that's what we're reading this morning. He reminds them of salvation history. He reminds them of who God is. And what does he tell them about who God is? He doesn't say uh, that because you've done right, the Lord is doing what he's supposed to do. He says, because God is merciful, because God is forgiving, because God is loving, he has forgiven you your sins and he has brought you back into a good place. He's brought you back into relationship with him. So it's not because of what the people have done, it's because of who God is. And this is what Ezra does and what we do in Holy Communion. So we're reminded that our salvation comes from God, not because of what we do. We might say that we are saved for good works, not by good works. Isn't it funny how two little words make so much difference? Huh? We're not saved by good works. See, the Lord, he doesn't say the Lord loves you because you did all this stuff right. He says the Lord has saved you because he loves you and he's taught you now how you can live according to his will. He's teaching you how to live in his kingdom according to his ways. And St. Paul's saying once you're in his kingdom, this is the end here of this great summary that he's got in chapter 8 of Romans. St. Paul is summarizing all that he's taught us before. And he's saying now that God has gathered you into his kingdom because he loves you, right? There's nothing that can take you away from that. Nobody can take you away from the Lord. He's created you, He's made you, He loves you, He forgives you. There's no power, there's no principality, there's nothing that can separate you. And we still get worried about all that, don't we? We read the paper, we see what's on television, we see all the turmoil in the world, and we think, oh no, somebody can take me away from this goodness that I have with the Lord. No, they can't. No, they can't. We can turn our backs on the Lord. We can turn away from His kingdom. That's within our choice. But when we're in His kingdom, when we're in His hand, there's nothing that can remove us from His salvation. The question is, when the going gets tough, when we see the condition of the world, when we become afraid, are we going to go to Herod and argue with him? That's what the world tells us to do, right? The world says, oh, Herod's not doing what he's supposed to do. We need to form a political action committee. We need to talk to our congressmen. We need to write letters. We need to uh, you know, organize some, some groups of people and make a change. What does Jesus do? He goes the other way. He retreats to the Lord, to his strength, to the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean that he never interacts with the world, but it means that the place that he starts, the first place he goes when he notices trouble, is he goes back to the Lord. And he retreats to him and to his word because his promises are sure and his love is everlasting. And no one can take that away from us. No one. Well, retreat sounds great sometimes, doesn't it? We love to go on retreats. 
We go on summer camps, right? We used to go up to Camp San Joaquin. Hopefully we get to do a children's camp again. We've done vacation Bible school. Hopefully we get to do that again. Uh, We have loved to do vestry retreats, and we've gone on all kinds of retreats like that. Coming to church can be a kind of a retreat, isn't it? Uh, it's, It's the kind of retreat where we say, okay, we're gearing up for the week, but it's a kind of a retreat. We go back to the Lord to start our week, and it's a tithe of our time to come back. The question is, how are you going to retreat in the doctor's office? How are you going to retreat in the parking lot? How are you going to retreat at your desk at work? How are you going to retreat in the busyness of life? Because that's when we need to retreat. So here's how we do it. Turn off the phone. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. Put down the magazine and the books. Close your eyes and wait upon the Lord. He is speaking to you. He made you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a life picked out for you that is better than anything you could ask or imagine. It is perfect and good. And if you would but retreat to him and turn to him, you would feel that love and that forgiveness and that grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the world and do amazing things amazing things that you could never dream of on your own retreat to the lord for his kingdom his kingdom is within you